Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. We're on the last week of our series, Image. Image. The first week of this series, I spoke on the subject, Mirror Image, that we are made in the Imago Dei, the image of God, and we are created to reflect His glory, to be God's mirror image. In week two, our topic was, let us make God in our image. Let us make God in our image. And I told you that we have this tendency to create sacred cows with our political and religious agendas, and we convince ourselves that this looks like God. Or we can go the other direction, and we live life with a lack of conviction, and we convince ourselves that God is in that. And both ends of that spectrum are very dangerous. We have to be careful that humanity doesn't make God in our image. And then last week, I spoke to you on the subject, get over your selfie. Get over your selfie. The enemy attacks anything that looks like God, and you're made in his image, so we should expect the enemy to attack you, right? When it comes to our self-image, we must learn to fix our attention on the greatness of God and not our own weaknesses. And if we put our attention on the greatness of God, everything else fails in comparison. So don't bow down to the image of self-worth. You don't find your worth in yourself. You find your worth in Him. And so today I want to end this series with the subject, looks that heal. Looks that heal. Think about how often you use Google search and specifically Google images to identify what someone or something looks like. Google search is one of the greatest tools ever invented to bring clarity to a question. Probably this week, many of you, you've jumped on Google to search some information out or to look for a picture just to bring some clarity to an issue. Over the past month, I've searched for many things. I searched uh, a few weeks ago for the actor that played Major Dad. Remember the TV show Major Dad? Because there was some confusion going on on, on this TV show Coach and, and Major Dad. We were talking about it as a staff. And uh, this, is, this is how we get some really deep theological things happening around the office. And so we were talking about Major Dad. And, and so I, I Googled that actor. And, of course, I found out that that was, that was Gerald McRaney that played Major Dad. Some of you will remember him from Simon and Simon. If you're over the age of 45, you remember him from Simon and Simon. And for others in the room, you'll know him as the doctor on This Is Us, the doctor that delivered the the babies on This Is Us. Um, The other night, we were sitting in the living room, and and for some reason, I I don't know, it's crazy how this stuff comes about. My son and I, Caleb and I, we were were discussing um, Ludacris and Ja uh, Ja Rule. And... um, and don't ask why, we just were. And uh, I had them confused. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's common. You know, I just mess up often. You know, it's not like my rap game is very strong, okay? So, um, so we had to Google images of, of these two rappers to see who was who. And I was wrong, Caleb was right. I'll admit it right here in front of everybody. Are you happy? Thank you. Okay. <laughs> then last week, last week, I looked for images of the Def Leppard and Journey concert that was happening down in Tampa that I would have loved to have gone to, but we were taking our daughter back to college, and so I couldn't, couldn't buy tickets for that. But I wanted to see what it looked like, so I was Googling images, you know, of pictures of that concert in Tampa. Um, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I was Googling um, resorts in Hawaii 
um, uh, for places that we could possibly stay for our 25th wedding anniversary in a couple of years. And, and so we're hoping in 2020 that we can go there and we've started a little savings account. So I was Googling, you know, images of different resorts and figured out that everywhere we would want to stay, we can't afford to stay. And uh, we're going to be sleeping out of the back of a car if we go. So that's what we figured out. I also... Just this past week, um, Mandy and I, we were traveling home uh, from Cleveland, Tennessee, and, and we made a pit stop in Sonoy, Georgia, and I had to look up on my phone the Rick Grimes lookalike that lives in Sonoy, Georgia, b- because my wife would not stop thinking that Andrew Lincoln was sitting in the same restaurant with us, so I had to prove to her that there's a Sonoy Rick, a lookalike, and there he is right there. And then, of course, when you kill a 12-foot gator, When you kill a 12-foot gator, you've got to search largest gator ever killed in Florida because 12 feet has to be close, right? No, it was 17 feet 5 inches, so sorry. Sorry to let you down. Google search, it has to be one of the most convenient ways to get a clear-cut picture of what someone or something looks like. If you want to bring some clarity to a matter, if you want to bring clarity to a discussion, then Google it. Google it, because we know everything is trustworthy if you Google it, right? If only it was that easy to see Jesus. Have you thought about that? If it was just that easy to see a picture of of real life Jesus. Do you know how many more people would believe if they could just see a real life flesh and blood picture of Jesus and, and, and modern day articles about what he has done? How many people would believe in the existence of Christ if they could just Google search him? You can Google search things like Hurricane Irma and, and know of the devastation that it caused because there are images to show you that. We can Google search the royal wedding and know that Meghan Markle married Prince Harry because there are pictures that will prove that. We can Google search the lyrics to Africa by Toto because many of you did last week after my sermon and you begin to realize that I was correct, that it is actually I bless the rains and not I miss the rains down in Africa. You can Google that and get clarity on that issue. But you can't Google search Jesus and prove his existence. It doesn't work like that. So how will people see the real Jesus? How does this happen? Because we know, church, that the love of Christ is not intuitive. Let me explain this to you. The Bible tells us that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And so we know that that every human being wonders if there's an afterlife. Every human being at some point in their life, because God has set eternity in their hearts, they think about it. They think that, that there's a possibility. I don't care who it is. It can be the greatest of atheists. They wonder at some point in their life if there is an eternity. And, and, and because God has put that in their hearts, they wonder, but, but they find answers for that in different ways. And, and, and most of the time, many times, they find the wrong answers. And, and that's how so many religions are birthed is because eternity is set in our hearts and we're trying to find the answers for that. But you just don't wake up one day under Understanding that Christ died for you and that Christ loves you, someone or something has to show that to you because it's not intuitive, right? 
Someone has to introduce you to that mindset. And so like significant events in history, the, the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, it must be shared because it's not intuitive. Someone needs to share that with you. I was talking to a father the other day over some coffee at the, at the Blaine Coffee Shop, and he was telling me that his children did not realize the significance of 9-11. And, and, and this, this bothered, it was troublesome to the father, and it, it had to do with their age. You know, uh, one of them, I believe, was actually born after, after that, uh, that happened. And so, um, you know, how would they know that unless we keep the memory alive and never forget? And so, the dad came to the conclusion that it was his job to share the tragedy of that day, but also to share the patriotism that followed that day. He wanted to share this with his children. How else would they come to that knowledge of that event and the significance of that event unless someone shares it with them because it's not intuitive. You just don't come to know it on your own. So if the love of Christ is not intuitive, how will others realize that the love of Christ even exists. And God has an answer for that. In John chapter 13, I'm gonna be reading a number of verses out of chapter 13 today. And so if you will, just leave your Bibles open because I'm gonna refer back to our text a few times. But John chapter 13, I'm gonna be reading verses 12 through 17 to begin with, then we'll go to verse 21. John chapter 13, starting at verse 12. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. Verse 12 says, And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now we go to verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now on now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Verse 31 says, and when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, and now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love 
for one another. This is such an interesting conversation by Jesus. Because we know that according to Luke chapter 22, that a dispute broke out among the disciples right before he washes their feet. Just Luke tells us a little bit different detail of this. It's, it doesn't contradict it. It just adds to the story of this Last Supper. And, and Luke lets us in on the secret that, that the disciples in that upper room that night, they break out into an argument, a fight, a verbal fight with one another about who is the greatest in the kingdom. Can you imagine that? The Son of God is sitting across the table from you, and you're concerned with who's the greatest out of all the disciples, when the greatest is sitting right across from you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is sitting right there. But nevertheless, they feel like they need to have this conversation, so they're arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom. So what does Jesus do? Jesus gives them the greatest illustrated sermon on servant leadership that has ever been recorded. He got up from the table. He wraps himself with a towel. He gets a basin and he fills it up with water. And then he begins to go around to each one of the 12 disciples washing their feet. They're arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom and Jesus is washing their feet. The greatest man in the room, the greatest man to ever live is washing the feet of the very ones who are arguing over who's the greatest disciple. He shows servant leadership as he washes their feet. Then when he's finished, he acknowledges the betrayal of Judas in a way that only Judas could understand what he is saying. And then he tells him to follow through with it and go and do it quickly and what he says next to them is what made the early church unstoppable. What The words that come out of his mouth, the, the very next phrase that Jesus utters, it, it, it sets the tone for the early church. Because here's what he said. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to give you part of it. Here, here's what he says. He says, a new commandment I give to you. This is what Jesus says. He says, a new commandment I give to you. You're, you're fighting among yourselves Jesus washes their feet, and then he says, a new commandment I give to you. I, I can picture Matthew and John, they get their pens out, you know, pen and paper, they're ready. Like, really? This is a new commandment. Everybody listen up. Everybody get quiet. Listen, Jesus has given us a new commandment. It's set up straight. Everybody listen. Everybody listen closely. Because these guys, they had all studied. They knew that there were 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Now, they probably didn't have these memorized, but surely they had the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten. Maybe they had those, you know, the, the Ten out of the 613. Maybe they had those memorized. They knew there was significance to them. And Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is about to give a new commandment. We've got 613, but he's about to give us a new one. And this little Greek word for new, for new, this little Greek word means new in quality, innovative, and fresh. I looked it up in the Greek dictionary. New in quality, innovative, and fresh. That's the word that Jesus uses. He says, this commandment I'm about to give to you, it's new in quality. There's never been anything quite like it. It is innovative. It's going to change the way we do things and it is fresh. In other words, Jesus was declaring that this was the breath of fresh air that the church would need. This was going to be innovative for that early church. 
This is brand new territory that 613 laws in the Old Testament have not covered. This is a new commandment. So you ready for it? You know it because we know this. We've heard this scripture so many times. We know it, but they didn't know it. So put yourself in their shoes just for a moment. He says, I give you a new commandment. And here's what he says, that you love one another. These guys have just been fighting among themselves. And Jesus looks at them and says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you you are also to love one another can you imagine the looks on their faces in that moment the conviction that had to settle upon their hearts because they've just been arguing about who was the greatest in the room now this is new to me and you or this is not new to me and you but but this was brand new to them because because nowhere in the Old Testament did it talk about God's love like this this was new revelation. This was innovative. I can almost picture Jesus looking at Peter and said, Peter, you know, you've, you've still got this really, really bad attitude towards Matthew, man. You need to get this thing figured out. Love one another. Love him. Don't fight with him. I know he was a tax collector before I saved him, but, but he doesn't owe you anything anymore. Just, just forgive the guy. I know, I know your brother... Andrew, I know he gets on your nerves. Probably would have been better if I only picked one of the brothers. But, but come on, he's your brother. Love one another. Church, I believe that that phrase is once again the breath of fresh air that the church needs. Now, if you're a guest with us today, I need you to understand this with me. We don't have any bickering and any fighting and anything like that happening. Because when you visit a church and a pastor gives a message like this, you're always like, what am I getting myself into? This is preventive maintenance for us. We all love each other a lot, don't we? I said we all love each other a lot, don't we? Stay with me, church. It's preventive maintenance for us. But, but church, I'm serious. I believe that this, once again, is that breath of fresh air that the church needs. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking that some people are unlovable. Let's be honest, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. You ever thought anybody was unlovable? Raise your hand. I mean, you're just like, I just can't. Jesus loves them, but I don't, you know. <laughs> I've, I've done it, I've done it. This week, I've done that, I have. We look at people and, and, and we think sometimes I, there's no possible way. I cannot love them. I, I can't. It's just, it's impossible. I cannot love them. And so I've got these words for you. Get over yourself. Amen. Jesus had just had dinner and washed the feet of Judas, the one who was betraying him unto death. If Jesus, knowing that this man is betraying him to death, if he can show love and he can get down on his knees and wash his feet, get over yourself. Because there's not anybody on this planet that is unlovable when you look at them through the eyes of Christ. In the words of the great Bible scholar, Professor Travi McCoy, if that ain't love, then I don't know what love is.
This is not about putting up with or enduring your time around them. That's not what it's about. Jesus said, love them. And church, this is not a feeling. It, it's, it's not a feeling. This is a verb. It's, it, it's an action. Love is something that you do. It's not something that is. It is something that you do. And he said, love them. Love one another. You love you, and you love you, and you love you, and love one another. And he says these words. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Everyone's going to know that you follow me if you love one another. Everyone will know that you Trust me, you've bought into what I know is true. You will be labeled a Christian by the way that you love one another. I recently read this article about this 30-year-old man from Lexington, Kentucky, who spent a significant amount of money in order to resemble Jesus more. According to the Lexington Daily Tribune, Mark Emery has been following the footsteps of Christ in many ways for several years now. He even learned the trade of carpentry and became a carpenter just so he could be more like Christ. He's been studying Jewish law and, and religious texts. And recently, in recent years, he's went as far as to spend $215,000 on two years' worth of plastic surgeries to change his physical appearance to resemble Jesus. Here he is. He's had a total of 21 surgeries, and he claims to be almost satisfied with the results. Here's a quote that he said. He said, some people buy fancy cars or fancy mansions. I use my money to show my love for Jesus by getting surgery to look more like him. I try to live by his example and to be as much like him as I can. For me, acting like Jesus wasn't enough. I really wanted to be like him and look like him. Church, I told you. Week two of this series, I showed you three pictures of Jesus. I showed you white Jesus, I showed you black Jesus, and I, sh I showed you Middle Eastern Jewish Jesus. You remember that, right? I showed you those three images. I'm going to mess some of you up right now. You ready? I know for a fact that Jesus is white. And I know for a fact that Jesus is black. Amen. Got you, didn't I? Some of you were scared to death. You're like, I invited family today. Why are you doing this? And I know for a fact that Jesus is Jewish. And I know for a fact that Jesus is Asian. And I know for a fact that he is Hispanic. And, and, and he is reflected in every ethnic group. I know this because of Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 that says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Listen, we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. If you want to see what Jesus looks like, look around you right now. And it doesn't stop here. It, it's just not exclusive to Destiny Community Church. It is a global body. We are the body of Christ. 
And so if the world has to see what Christ looks like, they have to look at us. I don't know why he chose to do it this way, but he did. And he said, listen, you are going to be my ambassadors. You are going to be the ones that speak up for me. When they see my love, they're going to see it through you. So if you want to see what the body of Jesus looks like, look around. It's us. And how will they see Jesus? Jesus said this. By the way that you love one another. That's it. How do they see Jesus? By the way that you love one another. And and I want to be very clear on something. This is not an outreach sermon. We've got a sermon series coming up soon on outreach. We'll, We'll talk about that. This is not about outreach. This is in reach. This isn't about loving people outside the church or on the mission field, although that's necessary. We have to show the love of Christ there. But what I'm talking to you about right now, he he sat there in front of a bunch of disciples that were arguing over who was the greatest in the kingdom, and he looked at them, and he said, this new command I give to you, love one another. This is about us. This is preventive maintenance in the house. People will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. This is us loving each other. 1 John 4, 11 and 12 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Listen to this. No one has ever seen God. You see, you thought you were the only one that's never seen God. No one has ever seen God, is what he says. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God, but they are able to see his love through us. They see the body of Christ in action. And so, let me just, let me bring this home for you. There's someone in this room right now that they need to see the love of Christ through you. By this, they will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. And somebody in this room needs to be loved by another brother or sister in Christ. Someone sitting near you in your vicinity, they need to see Jesus through your love. And then he says, by this, all people will know. People outside the body of Christ. You see, if we can't, get along and love each other inside the body? Why would anyone outside the body even want to be a part of this? Maybe some of you, you were raised in a church that was like, I was, I've been a part of churches like this where they were backstabbing and backbiting. Again, preventive maintenance. We don't have that going on here. Praise God. Thank God for that. But it's because of sermons like this that we don't. But I've been a part of those churches before that When I started going to that church, it had the same 50 people when I left that church because everybody wanted to stab each other in the back and and they wanted everyone to agree with them. And when someone disagreed, listen, you know, when you have 550, 600 people part of a church, do you know how impossible it is for us all to agree on something? Do you know how hard it is for us all to agree on the same theology? My Lord, it would be a nightmare to get all of us to line up on the same theology. The bottom line is Christ died for you. Christ died for me. If you can believe that, we got some of our brothers and sisters to hear from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you guys for being here. But they believe the same Jesus that we believe in. 
It's impossible to get everybody to agree on everything. And that's why Jesus said, love one another. Even when you don't agree with each other, love one another. When you're fighting over who's the greatest in the room, stop that. Love one another. This isn't about position. God is love. And if you want to share God, you must love humanity. We are the image of Christ. And, and church, we've got the looks that heal. When they see us, they need to see unity. When they see us, they need to see compassion. They need to see grace. They need to see mercy. Those are the looks that heal. This past week, I got to meet with a, a child in our church that wants to be baptized. And his name is Jackson. And, and Jackson, I think he's seven years old. I, I always ask the kids a series of questions. And so I, um, I, I started off our conversation. I said, listen, Jackson, I'm going to ask you a the same three questions a bunch of times. You're going to get tired of hearing them, but it's important that I understand that you know what water baptism really means. And so I do this. If, if your child has been baptized by me, then, then you know that this is, this is the way that I do things. And so I asked him, I said, Jackson, can you tell Pastor Rocky, what do you have to do to get to heaven? And he looks at me, and, and I knew that he knew it, but he couldn't quite articulate it. It just couldn't come out just, just like he, he wanted it to. And so I said, hey, buddy, it's fine. I said, let me explain it to you. And then you can explain it back to me. And so I said, have you ever been in children's church or vacation Bible school or somewhere and, and they, they talk about Jesus coming and living in your heart? I said, have you prayed that prayer? And he says, yes, yes, I did. I, I prayed for Jesus to come, to come live in my heart. And I said, okay. And we kept talking for a little while and and I, I, I went back to that question, and I said, Jackson, what do you have to do to get to heaven? And he said, well, you've got to ask Jesus to come live in your lungs. <laughs> and I said, well, buddy, that's, that's close, that's close. And then I said, you know what? Man, you're right. It's lungs, it's heart, it's kidneys. It, it's everything, man. We just need Jesus all the way throughout. And so I kept asking him, asking him. And I said, you know, what do you have to do to get to heaven? And, and, and soon he caught on to it. And he was like, I have to ask Jesus into my whole body. My whole body. Imagine if the church, the body of Christ, prayed that same prayer. Christ, come live and the whole body, and me, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. What if, what if all of us said, come live in our body, in your body, the body of Christ? Something happens when the church says, Jesus, take over the body. It's interesting to me that God made himself look like us so that we, in turn, could look like him. That Jesus took upon the form of humanity so that humanity could come together and look like him. And you know why he said that we will do greater things than he did? Because there's more of us and we're empowered through him. One person couldn't do what Jesus did. But when you bring the millions of people together that call themselves the body of Christ and they're empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus said you will do greater things Take this thing, take this gospel to the world. 
Juan Carlos Ortiz pastored a church in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And he wrote a book a number of years ago called Disciple. And in this book, he, he tells the story about how he realized that his church was educated beyond their experience. And, and what he meant by that was they had a lot of book knowledge of the Bible, but they didn't have a lot of experience living this thing out. They knew a lot more than what they were putting into practice. And so he said many of them, he said they were getting two and three sermons a week. Many of them were part of like home Bible study groups. And he said before they had time to digest and apply one message, they were getting another message. And so he decided that for his church, it was time for a change. And so Pastor Ortiz, one Sunday, he got up to preach. And he took the podium and he opened his Bible and he read these words of Jesus. Love one another. And he closed his Bible. And he went and sat down. And people just kind of looked around. Like, what's going on? He stood back up and he walked up to the podium and he opened his Bible to the same spot. And he read these words. Love one another another and he closed his Bible and he went back and he and he sat down and by this time people are getting very uncomfortable in his church people are starting to squirm some people are thinking the pastor has lost his mind because you know what it is we would much rather hear someone tell us how to live than to actually begin walking that thing out so he returned to the podium third time he opened his Bible and he read these three words love one another there was a businessman sitting down in the front row and he leaned over to the man next to him and he says he said I think the pastor wants us to love one another <laughs> and the guy said yeah I think so and so the businessman asked the other guy he said is there anything I can do for you and the man began to cry as he told that businessman that he was in financial despair. Expecting this man just to pray with him and to, to bear the burden through prayer. The businessman opened his wallet and began to take out cash and began to bless the man financially. Soon, he said, all across the auditorium that day, he said people began talking, pockets of people just began talking to each other. Some were laughing, some were crying, others were in groups praying together. For the next six months, Pastor Ortiz preached the same topic. Do you know what the topic was? Love one another. And he said at the end of the six months, he said not only did they know it and have the book knowledge of it, but he said, now they were finally doing it. The church was loving one another. Church, listen to me. Love is the image of Christ. There's no other way around that. And until you love one another, you are not reflecting the love of Christ. You must love one another. First John 4 and 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love 
1 John 4 and 21 says, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So we must love our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Listen to me, church. This is very important. We don't get to pick and choose who we love and don't love in the body of Christ. I didn't say you had to be best friends with them. But we don't get to pick and choose. Here's what we do have to do. We have to realize that when someone's under attack, it's our job as a body of believers to strengthen them, to undergird them. It's our job to lift them up. When someone has sinned within the body of believers, do you know the Bible tells us that in Galatians chapter 1 and, and, or chapter 6 and verse 1, it says when, when a brother has sinned, those of you who are in the spirit must restore them gently. How many times does someone sin and we tuck tail and run the other direction? We, as the body of Christ, those who are in the spirit, we are to love one another in the good times and the bad times. When you get it right, when you get it wrong. Let me tell you, you turn your back on a brother or sister in Christ, I promise you, the demons of hell are waiting to grab hold of them, to offer support for them for a season, and completely ruin what God wants for their lives. Why wouldn't we learn to love one another during those tough moments? We have what we call covenant membership here at Destiny Community Church, and the idea behind that is when you celebrate, I want to celebrate with you, but when you hurt, I want to hurt with you. When you need strength, I want to be the one there lifting you up. That's how we love one another. We have to, to pour into each other that way. And listen, in, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said these words. He said, if you have ought against your brother, if, you have, if you've been offended by your brother, he said, go to them. One-on-one, -on -one, have a conversation, go to them. And so today, I'm going to give you some homework, church. Again, preventive maintenance, but it works. If for some reason, there is a brother or sister in Christ, and listen, I'm not talking about outreach right now. This is inreach. If you know of a brother or sister in Christ, maybe, maybe they're in this church. Maybe they're a part of another church you used to be a part of, and you left and you were hurt. You were crushed. But it's, that's one of your brothers, sisters. They're part of the body of Christ. Your homework this week is to go to them and have that uncomfortable conversation. Walk into it with grace, with mercy. Those of you that have been around here, it's been a while since I've taught it, but it still applies. Right place, right time, right attitude. You can talk about anything with a brother or sister in Christ if it's the right place, right time, right attitude. I've told you, you can come talk to me about anything if it's the right place, the right time, the right attitude. And I should extend that same courtesy to you. Right place, right time, right attitude this week. I want you to have a conversation with someone that either you've offended or they've offended you. Have that conversation. Let Christ begin to work. This is the plan that he gave us. If you have a grievance against your brother or your sister, you go to them and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Now listen, if that doesn't work, in Matthew chapter 18, he gives you steps two and step three, but here's my prayer. 
God begin to prepare hearts right now for conversations. I don't care if we're sitting in the same room with each other right now and there's conversations that need to take place in here. Prepare both of our hearts right now. Prepare our hearts, Lord. Let the conversation be received. That's what I'm praying. Let it be received so that when we go to our brothers and sisters, we can have a conversation that will bring about healing. These are looks that heal. If I look like Christ, if I look like the body of Christ, then it will bring healing to the, to the relationship. Jesus went as far as to say it like this. This is pretty serious. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says these words. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if you're bringing your offering to the Lord, he said, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying your offering is in vain. It is useless until you get this right here fixed. He has to say that. Because when he gives you a new command that says love one another, that command becomes priority. In other words, it's more important than your offering. Go and make that right. Then you come and pick up your offering and you give it to God and then you're blessed. That's the words of Christ. So you've got homework. Who is it? Who is that brother or sister in Christ? The part of the body. They're a Christian. Maybe there are actions and even words between the two of you that it didn't feel very Christ-like. But nevertheless, you're part of the body of Christ. Who is it that you have to have that conversation with? It will not be easy. But if you want to strengthen the body of Christ and you want to bear the image of God, the imago Dei, the image of God, if you want that for your life, you must do this. I, I'm not ashamed to admit to you that this week someone approached me. Someone approached me this week about something that I, I did, or actually it was something I, I didn't do, and, and it offended them. And so instead of going to anybody else and having that conversation, they did the right thing, and they, they, they came to me. And even though I, I think I could point fingers and I could, I could tell them exactly you know, how this is their fault, I'll tell you what I did. And thank God that he's grown me and matured me because I remember the day I wouldn't have done it this way. But I immediately said, I never meant to hurt you and I'm so sorry that I did not pay attention to that need in your life. Will you please forgive me and, and tell me how I can make this right? That's what happens when brothers and sisters in the body of Christ seek reconciliation not who's right it's about seeking reconciliation love one another thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC for service times and directions log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org thanks again for listening